This is Danny Torres, host of the Talking 21 podcast and part of the Our Esquina Podcast Network. And I got to tell you, it's been a brief hiatus and I'm glad to be back, but there is a surprise guest that's going to be on this episode. Not only that you're going to be hearing from Nick Swisher, but you're going to be hearing for the very first time our executive producer, Ras Guevara. And Ras Guevara, I have to say, provided some unbelievable insight in this conversation. So Ras Guevara, executive producer of the Talking 21 podcast. Hermano, what do you have to say for our listeners? Hermano, man, I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to um, the people who are getting to listen to this episode. Um, like you said, not only is this the first time that we're actually doing this together um, on camera, because we do it together every 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 episode um but again just nick swisher's infectious personality just really really comes through um as soon as we were doing it as soon as we were done i was like just jazzed up because of of, of, of you know the caffeine red bull that's pumping through his veins just i think kinda, it was on the side there i would agree <laughs> i think that red bull was on the side there um i again i enjoyed the conversation uh all of our, all of us love baseball uh, but the conversation veered into parenthood into roberto clemente into a variety of different topics that, that um, I'm sure our, our listeners will enjoy. And something that's near and dear to Nick Swisher, he's going to have a golf outing on July 29th in California, where all proceeds would benefit St. Jude's Children's Hospital. And they are based in Memphis, Tennessee. It's an unbelievable story. And I know our listeners are going to enjoy this conversation with Nick Swisher. So I'll ask everyone to sit back, enjoy our conversation, Raske Guevara and I, with the great 2009 World Series champion, all-star, and unbelievable personality, father, you name it, Nick has all those hats. Please enjoy this episode. Well, Nick Swisher, welcome to the Talking 21 podcast. And as you had an opportunity to meet me, actually, for the very first time in uh, Cooperstown, New York, the Hall of Fame game, it's great to see you again, along with my producer. Welcome to Talking 21. Oh, man, we're so excited to be here, bro. It was good to meet you over at Cooperstown, bro. Happy to be on the podcast. Well, you know, Nick, um, the one thing I got said to you that day when we met, I was this close to a Yankee fan. <laughs> right? The hives were coming out right now. But for Talking 21, we have something in common, along with my, my dear friend, Raciel Guevara, is the great one, Roberto Clemente. But let's talk oh. about the Nick Swisher personality. Everyone has fallen in love with Nick Swisher. I even got a family from uh, New Jersey, the Cooper family, Gary, Meredith, and Marianne. They literally called me before this podcast. So when I told them I was going to be with Nick Swisher, Marianne was like, oh, my God, Danny, after Yogi Berra and Whitey Ford, he was the best. Swisherlicious. He was the man. So that Nick, makes me feel so good, man. Let me tell you. Tell me about this personality of yours. I mean, I'm hype. I'm hype. But there's something that you've taken it to the extreme. Please tell me about that. <laughs> Listen, bro. I mean, at the end of the day, not many people get to live their dreams. And I was one of those individuals that got to live my dreams. I dreamt about being a professional baseball player every day of my life. And I was one of the fortunate ones that were able to live that dream. Not many people do. So I know how fortunate and blessed that I am to be able to be living this life. I also understand that it could have been somebody else. The big man upstairs could have picked somebody else to be a right fielder for the New York Yankees, but he decided to pick me. And I understand that. And I'm so grateful to be able to have had that interaction, to have been able to live that life. So now I can come on podcasts like this and just rap about it, right? And just have the best time. Listen, my relationship that I gained with the fans of Major League Baseball, regardless of whatever team I was on, I could not be more fortunate for those individuals. Because if it wasn't for those individuals, then we wouldn't be the athletes that we are today. So at the end of the day, to be able to have fans in your corner like that, I'm so grateful. I'm so blessed. Thank you for the love. Because I know that it could have been somebody else. And I know that I wouldn't be the individual I am today if it wasn't for those amazing fans. Now, you talk about the individual that you are today, obviously born in Columbus, Ohio, but there was somebody that planted the seed of baseball. Do we put exclusive credit to your father who had an <laughs> opportunity to play in the major leagues? Uh, yeah, you know what? I, I think it, it always takes a village to get to where you're going, right? And I was fortunate because I was one of those young kids and you were able to meet my father in Cooperstown. I was, I was. Super cool dude. Super it's cool a dude. super great guy, right? He was one of those individuals that, listen, you would, uh, you know, you would assume that because he played in the big leagues, he pushed me to play in the big leagues. He was like, you got to do this. You got to do this. Well, it's actually, it's opposite. 
I had a father that told me, son, I don't care what you do in this world. I don't care if you're a musician. I don't care if you're a trash man, you be the best damn trash man in the world. And so that's kind of the, the mentality that I took, right? It, it wasn't just baseball that I gave this sort of passion to. It was football. It was basketball. I'm a major history buff. I loved history class. So I put this sort of passion into that. I loved English class. So I did the same thing. So I guess for myself, I think that I would most, at the end of the day, just to be thankful that I had a passion. I have a passion for life. I have a passion for things in this world. Because if you're not excited about waking up each and every morning, life can be hard. Life can be a drag. But for especially myself, everything man, that's to, happening, especially everything that's happening. I mean, happening, listen, yeah. I mean, you, you got to be very empathetic to the things that have happened over the last couple of years. We've lost some amazing people in our lives. We've gone through COVID, right? We've, we've, we've lost money. The, the stock market's up and down. We don't quite know really what's going on. So I think, listen, there's so many negative things that you can focus on in life. I guess just for myself, I'm a silver linings guy, right? I wake up every morning and it's, it's, it's 75 and sunny in my world. So I guess to be able to be in this position now, I guess I could, all I can just say is like, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that this is the outlook I have on life because I know it can be a lot different. I mean, and it's infectious, right? And that, that positivity that radiates, that's, that's infectious. Um, tell us a little bit about like how, how are you, is everyone in your family like that? Is everyone like super high energy <laughs> or are you kind of like the feeder and everybody else kind of feeds off of you? Yeah, right. I think they broke the mold when they made me, I think, you know, <laughs> I'm just a touch different than most, you know, which isn't a bad thing, right? I think, thing, you know, right? the one thing that, you know, I got two little girls and, you know, I'm a girl dad and you know, the two things, uh, the two rules in our house is work hard and be kind. And those are really kind of how we live our life is, you know, listen, it's a little different when you're younger and you're really grinding and you're trying to get to your profession. But I think now, you know, I'm 41 years old, you know, I'm established. I have an understanding of what life is, the things that make me happy. And to be able to have a wife that has been by my side every second of the way and to have two little girls, come on, bro. Like, I'm so blessed. I'm so lucky and fortunate. I try to tell people this all the time. It's like, Swish, why are you walking around with a smile on your face all the time? I'll be like, bro, I've made all the money I could ever want. I've got the hottest wife on the planet, right? I've got <laughs> two of the most beautiful daughters. And I wake up every morning with a smile on my face. I mean, what, what, what more can you ask for? I feel like if I would ask him for any more, it'd be starting to get a little greedy. Right. I think that I've been blessed to be able to have this amazing first career as a professional baseball player. But now to be 41 years old and a puppy dog in real life, if you're thinking about it, <laughs> now I'm really thinking like all the stuff that I really enjoy in life that I never had the time to do. Now, I, you can call me pontoon swish if you want, bro. I'm a boating <laughs> guy now, you know what I'm saying? So at the end of the day, man, I am just living life. I am rocking it, bro. And I am having a blast every single day because you because you never know when your last one's going to be. So you might sure. as well ride the shit out, you know? Yeah. Sure. Now, listen, you mentioned puppy dog. Have the kids been asking daddy and mommy for a dog to be in the Swisher household? Oh, big man. We already got that covered, brother. Oh, got, OK, 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 OK. <laughs> we got okay. a Great Dane. We've okay. got two chihuahuas. We've got okay. a mutt. We've got a cat. His name is Prince Rainbow Sparkles. Okay. We've got a hamster. <laughs> His name is Cheeserton. And we have two ponies. My oh oldest my daughter, Lord. she rides. Wow. Wow. She's, a, she's a hunter jumper. So, wow. I mean, bro, wow. you want to come to the zoo? Come on over to the crib. Uh, listen, you you let Roz and I know we will be there. We will uh, be let's there. Go. <laughs> you know, um, I'm going to mention uh, some teams that you played for. And I think you know all of the teams that you played for. So we're talking, we're talking, I mean, listen, talking about the White Sox. We're talking about the Yankees. We're talking about the A's. We're talking about the Braves. But we're talking about that there were some players in the foreseeable future that were going to be Baseball Hall of Famers. So my question to Nick Swisher, and I'm sure Rachel will get a kick out of this question, not only you interacted with some Hall of Famers, such as, although he was a short period of time, Ken Griffey, Chicago White Sox, Jim Tomei, Mariano Rivera, and I know your pronunciation for Spanish words are on point right now. So, and of course, Derek Jeter. What are some superstitions of those particular players that you observed? Or maybe there was just some funny interactions because we all like to joke. What were things that you noticed about those guys that eventually are now have a plaque in Cooperstown, New York? I mean, the word superstition wouldn't come into play. The word professionalism would come into play. Every single person you mentioned in that list 
was one of the best pros I've ever been around in my life. And I've picked up a little bit of something from everybody you just mentioned. Now, let's talk about the foreseeable Hall of Fame guys that I played with, right? Guys like CeCe Sabathia, maybe a guy like Andy Pettit, right? Jorge Posada. Like, you never know. Like, Alex Rodriguez, maybe one of these days he gets in. You know, I played against Kurt Schilling. So, for myself to play against all those guys, you pick up on something from the best. You always notice the things that the best people do. And for myself, I kind of thought I had it figured out when I got over to New York, but being around people like Derek Jeter and A-Rod and Posada and Pettit and Mo and CeCe and AJ Burnett, Johnny Damon was a huge influence on me. These guys taught me how to be a professional baseball player, not to be a spaz bouncing all over the walls each and every day, having an absolute plan of what you're doing when you get in that batter's box. It wasn't until my first year with the New York Yankees that I started using a sports psychologist as well. I never dug in to the, to the mental side of the game until I got to New York. I missed out on four years prior that I didn't tap into my mental side to know how spectacular that I could have been. So I think for myself, listen, negativity is going to come along in the game. You're going to run into that. You have to be able to deal with failure. If you're going to be an athlete, failure is inevitable. It's going to happen. You have to be okay with change because change is inevitable. It's going to happen. You have to be fluid. There's going to be ups and downs throughout a career. I remember when I first got drafted by the Oakland A's and I got to spend some time with Billy Bean, the general manager at the time, who, by the way, is a stud. Listen, this guy, when I first got there, he was like, Swish, your first year in the big leagues is going to be like this. And then your second year in the big leagues is kind of going to go. And then your third and your fourth is going to start to even it out. And by the time you get to the fifth or sixth year, you're going to have a real good understanding of the type of athlete you are. And he could not have been right because I got to New York my fifth year. And my fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth years of my career were the best years of my best years that I've had. And it was because I learned and I watched and I zipped my lips, which is sometimes hard for me to do, but I did a lot more listening than I did talking because that's how you learn. You want to be the best, you learn from the best. And I was so fortunate enough to have some amazing human beings in my corner all the way up that turned me into the player that I was when I, when I was playing. You know, you mentioned uh, a number of others that are potentially future Hall of Famers, but there's another guy in there, and he actually was born in Japan. That's Ichiro. What could you tell me about Ichiro? Bro, low-key, one of my favorite teammates of all time. One of the funniest individuals (laughs) you would ever want to spend any time with. Is there anything you can share? Is there anything you can share? Oh, I know he does. We know know that. I know he knows that. I mean, the guy's still in full uniform right now. He's going to be like 70 years old making <laughs> batting practice with the Mariners, bro. Still hitting home runs. Yeah. He's just one of those individuals, man. He was such a pro. I've never seen anybody prepare for a game like him. He didn't lift many weights. He was all about the function and the mobility. You know, those foam rollers, those, you know, those, uh, you know, those, uh, fo- this dude would lay out a towel in front of his locker and foam roll his body for about two hours a day. There was a reason why he's at the age that he is now and he's still flexible. He's still with it. He's still got a first step because if you don't use it, you lose it. And that flexibility is something for myself. I've been out five years now. And if I don't consistently work on that flexibility, bro, I'm not going to be able to touch my toes. I'm not going to be, you know what I'm saying? I'm not going to be able to get down in those positions I'm normally used to. So I think for myself, just as I've noticed, as I've gotten a little older in my life, the weights have dropped a little bit and the flexibility and mobility of what I'm trying to do has gone up. So if anybody's watching this, man, you hit your forties, baby. <laughs> it starts, it starts jumping in. On let's, uh, let's try 56 here. Mr. <laughs> I look good, but I am 56. There you go. There you go. There you go. You know, Raj, you got anything you wanted to add on to that? Is there a yeah, player man, that I sticks mean, out right now? I mean, definitely. We want to talk a little bit about, uh, you had to have had some superstitions yourself, right? You had to have some quirks some sure. routines. Tell us a little bit about some of your routines. Sure. Probably my biggest one that I had was the first thing that I did when I woke up in the morning, I'm laying in bed, right? I'm a switch hitter. So you have to get your left side and your right side all situated during the day. So the first thing that I would do in the morning was whatever way that I was hitting that night, that was the, that was the leg that touched the ground first. Uh, so if I was okay. hitting left-handed that day, the first thing that hit was my left foot on the ground. So I'm locking my brain into knowing, hey, you're hitting left-handed, get your mind right. And then when you got to the ballpark, obviously you did all your work, but I was prepared before I got to the ballpark. And that's not just like learning this stuff on my own. This is learning from, you know, trial and error. 
you know, meeting with, you know, psychologists and, and having a sense of what it takes for you to get ready. I'm a little different than most. I said that earlier. So I had to start my game time at eight, nine, 10 o'clock in the morning, whenever it was that I was waking up. Now that I got kids, it's like 545. <laughs> but before that, you know, when you're able to sleep in, no kids till 10 o'clock. I mean, that was fantastic. But that was the first thing that hit the floor. Whatever foot hit the floor, that's what I was hitting that day. And I would say that would probably be my biggest superstition, but it became a routine. I even do it now. I'm getting ready for the Home Run Derby X in July. And don't oh, you think yeah, I'm yeah. not working, baby? And I'm, hey, it depends on what I'm hitting that day. Some days I'll hit all right-handed. Some yeah. days I'll hit all left-handed. So whatever foot hits the floor that day, baby, that's the way I'm rocking and rolling. Tell us a little bit about that. I mean, we were reading, we, uh, Danny and I were both, uh, We once the article came out, we shared it amongst ourselves. We were talking about it. It's a pretty fun, exciting event that MLB is trying to kind of reach out to some younger demographic. You just like a lot of, everyone loves home runs. Every, and this event seems very, very cool. Tell us a little bit about that and how, how you came to, to be. Oh my God. Are you kidding me, bro? Major League Baseball called. I said in before they even, they, they were even done asking me the <laughs> sentence if I was going or not. And. Listen, you're, you're literally saying that when they immediately contact you, I'm like, like, I'm already in. I'm already wow, in. You don't even wow. got to ask me, bro. I'm already in. That's funny. <laughs> but that's kind of one of those things that like, you know, when you retire and you want to be part of the game, right. the biggest thing you can do is give back. The biggest thing you can do is give your knowledge and your education right. of the game back to the young ones. And so that's exactly what I wanted to do. Listen, being able to be a special advisor for the New York Yankees has been one of the greatest jobs I've ever had. I can't thank how. Jenny, Jessica, I mean, I, the Steinbrenner family, I can't thank them enough, Brian Cashman, for them to give me this opportunity to still be part of this logo and still feel like I'm making a difference and still feel like I'm doing something. It's definitely been one of the greatest things because when you retire, there is a humongous hole right here in your heart. And Brian Cashman came in and he was able to smooth that over. He filled my heart back up and I'll never be able to thank him enough for that. Yeah. But all of a sudden Major League Baseball called and they want me to be part of growing the game. Are you yeah. kidding me? Who wouldn't want to be part of that? Travel to places all over the world, right. hit home runs, bro. Like be part of something great. Like, listen, if there was somebody in the world you could drop in the middle of nowhere and somebody <laughs> could make friends, it's probably me. So to be able to like- They chose the right guy. They definitely chose the right for guy. For real. Like, you know, for myself, my other teammates, Erica, who's playing in Japan right now, she's absolutely banging, doing her thing. My guy, Daniel's a gold medalist in Mexico. I mean, come on, bro. This is a global game. We're including everybody. And at the end of the day, man, all we want to do is make this fun. We yeah. want to bring our game to the doorstep of people that have never seen it before. Razzle dazzle them, get them all pumped up, bro, and get them playing our sport. And for our listeners who don't know, um, the, this event that we're talking about, it's, it's, uh, it's a brainchild of Major League Baseball. It's a multi-city home run hitting competition. Um, it, it's very, very exciting. Some of these exciting cities that, like you just said, aren't, aren't traditional baseball hotbeds are going to be, be able to experience former major leaguers and, and hitter, hitters just mashing balls. How, how, what, what kind of, you know, amazing kind of, yeah, exactly, flashing the guns. Um, what kind of a, advantage it is to kind of just lure fans with some, you know, some brilliant personalities like yourself and some home run hitting ability is crazy. You know, for our, let's say for our listeners to hear some other stats about the great Nick Swisher, nine of your 12 seasons were double digits as it pertains to the long ball. Um, would you say, Nick, in your entire 12 years that you played that your mindset, which is now it almost seems that baseball now players are now pretty much, you might even say the last maybe five to 10 years, they're transitioning to the long ball. Did you say that was Nick Swisher's mindset of going into plate saying, listen, this is a good pitch. I'm just, I'm going for broke. I'm going to hit this ball out of the ballpark. Uh, no, uh, you know, my philosophy was, you know, I, I'm not always trying to get the ball in the air. Because if I hit the ball to the backside in the air, that's a can of shit. It's an out. So for myself, I tried to keep everything on the backside of the field more kind of like line drive-ish. Uh, but anything on the inside part of the plate, I'm trying to elevate, especially on the left side. So if I'm not trying to elevate everything, I'm trying to elevate balls on the inside part of the plate, especially in Yankee Stadium. Anything, we would always move closer to the plate as left-handed hitters to get that ball a little closer in. So we were able to get that ball up in the air. Now, Maybe the way that they teach getting the ball in the air is a little different now than it was then. But at the end of the day, extension equals distance. If I get extension to the baseball, that's when I'm going to get my most maximum elevation, my most maximum velocity. Because if I'm getting jammed back here, that ain't it. But if I can get that full extension to the baseball, now my body's in the right spot, all my angles are correct. And I can promise you, if I get extension to that baseball, it's going to elevate. 
You don't need to tell me to get the ball in the air. I already know what to do with it. So at the end of the day, listen, the thing that I, that I kind of shy away from a little bit is that in some people's eyes, if you can't hit the home run, you don't, you don't have any value. And I think that's bullshit. I think, I think everybody has value. And so I'm hoping that the athleticism comebacks in the game. You know, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, the shift goes away. That brings a little more speed into the game. Listen, Major League Baseball is doing their part to try and bring back the excitement in the game because it has not been as exciting as it has in the past. There's no more hitting and running. There's no more bunting. There's no more small ball. It's just everybody plays for the three-run homer. So that's why you're seeing, you know, 10 to 15 strikeouts a game and, you know, four or five solo home runs. I mean, that's at the end of the day, it's what people are trying to do because batting average doesn't mean anything anymore. It's all about OPS, on base and slugging, right? So listen, I want to be part of the game moving forward. I love this game. So if this is the era that we're in right now, the power era, then I'm all for it, right? I know it'll change at some point, but right now this is what we're rocking and rolling with. So this is what I'm going to have my guys do. Yeah. You know, um, you mentioned something from the standpoint of where baseball is today. And truly, it could absolutely be just that. It's cyclical, as they say. You know, it just revolves in cycles. That that small ball that you just mentioned right now is going to once again come back at the forefront. And I'm for it. I mean, especially from a generation that I can't say that I saw your dad play, but I have vivid memories of the 1973 Mets, and I was just seven years old. So I know what you're talking about when you're talking about the small ball, Billy Martin era, et cetera, et cetera. You know, 2009, you finally get that World Series ring. But it wasn't necessarily uh, from those that watched Nick Swisher in that series where, sadly, you were benched. Sadly, you didn't necessarily produce something along the lines that every player wants to do on that level. But you did hit a homer in that World <laughs> Series. I like yeah, to know, man. let's go back. Let's go back, Nick, about that moment where you're on the bench. Joe Girardi maybe just said, sure. hey, maybe we sure. got to kind of relax you for a little bit, get a chance to look and see what's happening. Talk about that particular series and that particular home run. I actually really, really appreciate talking about the struggles in life. I love talking about these things because these are the times when you learn the most about yourself. Nobody learns about themselves when you're kicking ass and succeeding day in and day out. But you learn something about yourself when you get benched game two of the World Series and your name's all over the back of the post because you're not being able to produce the way you would like. That is a time when you learn something about yourself. Now, if you look at the actual numbers of what happened in game three, came back two for four, double, homer, two runs scored, couple RBIs. So at the end of the day, it was the best thing that could have happened to me. At the time, bro, I was pissed. I was fuming. I just couldn't understand like, wow, I've been playing. I played 150 some games that year. And now all of a sudden I'm getting benched when it matters the most. But now that you step out of that situation and you can look back in it with a calm mind, I understand it's the best thing for the team. And now looking back, Jerry, Jerry Harrison Jr. that day, he took over. He played right field for me. He was absolutely fantastic. He got to knock that game. We ended up winning. We beat Pedro that game after Cliff Lee just put it on us game one. So to be able to sit there and to actually like soak it up. And I took it on the chin. I was right there on the front line, right? I was sitting there. I was watching the game the whole time. I wasn't happy. I was, I was, it was such an embarrassing moment for me. But at the end of the day, looking back at it, I'm so happy that that happened to me because that put things in perspective. It gave me the perspective of, listen, you're not always going to succeed. You're not always going to be hot. And at the end of the day, you have to learn to be a great teammate. And that day right there was one of those days where I was like, okay, I can be a prima donna. I can bitch and complain all the time because I'm not playing. I could yell, throw my stuff, cause a tantrum. Is that what I want to do? Is that the perception that I want of other people to see me as that? Or do I want people to be like, you know what? This guy's part of the team. This guy's a great teammate. He's up here. He's backing us up each and every game. And for that game, baby, that's exactly what I was supposed to do. I heard Matt Carpenter say something in a quote a couple weeks ago. And he said, all I'm trying to do is succeed at the job that I have that day. One day it might be being a great teammate, sitting on the bench, clapping for the guys. One day it might be a pinch hit late in the game. One day it might be a start. I'm just trying to execute the job that I've been given that day. And talk about a great quote that apps, I got goosebumps so much right now because that is the definition of the New York Yankees this year. Everybody is doing it for the squad. 
Nobody's doing it for themselves. This is not an individual team. This is nine players against one every time they take the field. And there is power in that. It is so awesome to see. It is so awesome to see all the work that went into spring training on the camaraderie aspect and the cohesiveness of everybody. The five new coaches we brought over this offseason have been absolutely electric, completely changed the locker room, could not be more proud of those guys. And I don't even know if it's possible, but somehow Aaron Boone has become a better manager. I don't even know how that's possible, but he has. It seems like every move he is making, he is like, dude, the guy is like gold right now. He's got gold all over. <laughs> He's just touching and making all the right moves. Could not be more proud of Booty, man. He is a great leader. I've learned so much from him. And just to be able to be part of all this, listen, like when I come up to New York or I, I meet the team on the road, like there's always a great welcoming in there, man. The guys, you know, like they're just so excited to see you. It's like cheers, man. Being able to go home to part of your family. I could not be more blessed to have that. And listen, at the end of the day, if those guys succeed, we succeed. So, you know, being able to watch it from afar has been amazing. Could not be more proud of those guys. I just want them to continue to keep going with what they're doing. You know, Raz, if I may, uh, and my apologies, but I, I had to throw this in right now. And I really believe now when I think about this, the reason why both New York teams are doing extremely well is that there's a former Met manager that is uh, a coach on the New York Yankees and the Mets have a former manager, meaning we both have, we, we kind of did an exchange of managers. So I believe that might be, let's give a little credit there, Nick. Wait Please, a minute, a Danny, credit. were you repping this, were you repping this Mets hat late in the year last year, bro? <laughs> Because you know no. what I'm saying, Ross. Could you tell him, no, please, Ross? He's, Rise, could he's you no tell fair him? weather fan. He rocks, he rocks orange and blue, no matter what. Let me get a little love for the Mets right now because they deserve it. By the way, man, I gotta give it to Buck Showalter. I do, I do. Listen, I played against Buck for years and years, and when you just look at him from across the line, man, there's just something about him. You're just like, I'm not quite sure if I got a grip on this guy or not. But every single person who has ever played for Buck Showalter absolutely loves that guy. He demands respect. He commands respect. And that's exactly what he's got. Listen, he lets his players be themselves. He lets Francisco Lindor do what Francisco Lindor needs to do to be him. At the end of the day, man, listen, they're doing all of this without the two best pitchers in baseball. Yep. DeGrom and Scherzer, they're doing it without him. Without him. Right? So at the end of the day, listen, normally... You, when, when Scherzer went down, the Mets thing to do was to drop 10 in a row. And then all of a sudden, everybody's like, oh, well, that's such a Mets thing to do. That's not quite the case anymore. Could not be more proud. Steve Cohen has been absolutely awesome for them. He is letting them know we will go out and get whatever we need to have to be successful. And that's exactly what they've done, man. Talk about Brandon Nimmo. He's been absolutely fantastic. I mean, come on. Everybody in that lineup is doing their part. And to be able to watch it, man, if New York is rocking and rolling on both sides for baseball, baseball come on, Center baby. Of baseball let's get right a Subway here, Series again. I can promise you ratings will be up if that happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's for funny sure. you mentioned Brandon Nemo because he's kind of got a, a smile like you too, Switch. You got to admit, the guy's no, just on, very... Like, he's, he's just a blue-collar guy, loves playing the game of baseball. How can you not root for somebody like that? To be able to see everything that they've done from all the stuff that they went through last year in 2021 to see the success that the Mets are having in 2022, baby, they have made some changes. They have brought over all the right pieces. Marte has been amazing. Canna has been amazing. Come on, dude. Like, there's nothing more that you want to see, at least for myself, than to see the Mets and the Yankees kicking ass, baby. Because when they're doing that, brother, baseball is right where it needs to Danny be. Danny and I will find a way to be there. Absolutely, for sure. Um, before we move any further, I do want to ask you about something. Um, it's You mentioned um, your work with a sports psychologist, right? And how it kind of helped you center your mind. Um, it's become more and more common for athletes, specifically in this generation, to talk about mental health, to talk sure. about... Um, getting right within themselves. And it's something that you didn't see often, certainly not growing up watching the game. You didn't hear a lot of that sort of conversations. I remember when the Yankees got sports psychologists, Seattle and some other teams started getting and incorporating that as part of their coaching staff and part of their, 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 their squads. What do you think has been like the mindset that has enabled athletes to openly and freely open talking about mental health, like the Naomi Osaka's or even beyond 100%. baseball, like sure. NBA players talking about the need to kind of get their mind right. Um, what, tell us a little bit about that shift in, in that culture uh, sure. element of it. Sure. I, I remember being in high school and, you know, if you went to see a psychologist when you were in high school, you were like, oh, you're, you're weak. 
you're not strong. You need help. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, like it, 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 it's, you, you, you're, you're not good enough. Uh, but nowadays, I think we're really realizing how hard it actually is to be an athlete. And you can look at all different fronts. And it's hard. We've seen some athletes go down with some mental breakdowns. I mean, that's what makes being an athlete so hard. That's why there's only a small percentage of people that actually reach the professional level. It's not an easy thing to do. So I listen, I have so much empathy for athletes nowadays. It's hard. You're put out on a pedestal sometimes. You're kicked down in the gutters from time to time. Like your life is going up and down. And I even think to myself uh, as an athlete, when you go out there, there's nobody else out there. It's you and that's it. And so for myself, when I came to the grips of uh, understanding, like I can't do this by myself. I can't bottle all these things that I have up in my, in, in my chest because then for myself, it comes out in a, in a rage. It came out like in, in, in not the best of ways. So to be able to talk about all that stuff, then I felt like I was more prepared. I also felt like kind of like I was battle tested because you talk about these things for hours and hours. And all of a sudden, when the game comes along, it's not as big of a deal because I've already talked about all this stuff. You've already talked about the worst things that could happen in your career. And so when you actually like physically say those things out into the universe, they don't sound as scary. You know, going 0 for 4 was like my biggest, like, you know, that's the worst thing that could have happened. But after I met my guy and we started talking, bro, 0 for 4 wasn't a big deal. Yes, it's a frustrating day, but at the end of the day, I'm coming back in 24 hours and I get to do the same exact thing. So I can only say for myself, listen, I have so much empathy for athletes nowadays. It's not an easy thing to do, especially with social media. Everybody gets an opinion on things. It's absolutely ridiculous. People, you know, I mean, like I could go on and on about the trolls on you know, Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff. But listen, you got to have haters because if you don't have haters, you're not doing enough right. If you got haters, you're doing something oh, right. I like we that. Need, we I need like that on a shirt, Danny. We need that on a shirt. You got to have haters, right? <laughs> you, you really do because, you know, listen, like if you're doing something that other people don't like, you're, you know, that means you must be doing something, you know? So I, I think for myself, it was definitely one of those things that you definitely have to come to grips with. It's hard because I love to be loved, right? I love loving on people. I love it coming back to me, but you also got to appreciate those haters as well. Not everybody's going to like you and that's okay. You can't make everybody happy in this world. And I think if you learn that quicker as an athlete, it'll be a lot easier for you. You know, uh, you mentioned about haters and it was someone that broke into baseball in 1955 and sadly, tragically died in 1972 on New Year's Eve. And boy, did the great Roberto Clemente have haters, um, not only in the press, but people in his immediate surrounding. And sadly, even at times during the early part of his career, uh, teammates, opposing players. But you know what's so special about today, Nick, because we're going to talk about the great one. Not only today is June 21st, but number 21. You happen to play throughout your career. You played first base, of course, but you played right field, the same position as the great one. You played 12 seasons, so that's 21 in reverse. And you look at what you have done outside of the lines, which is something that Roberto was so proud of, of dealing with children. And that love of children, Nick Swisher, not only for the two children you have at home with the zoo that you have at home, <laughs> but for it. literally, for literally countless kids. But there's something that you did 10 years ago. It was that children's album, Believe. Tell me about that project, Nick Swisher, because for me, that was thinking out the box as a professional athlete. Listen, man. I mean, Danny, come on, baby. Never in a million years did I think somebody would ask me to sing on an album, baby. Come on, right? Like, once again, putting yourself... <laughs> no, man, not. that's the thing. It's like, you can stay in your lane and you can feel comfortable all the time, or you can step out of your comfort zone and try different things. And so for myself, that was one of those things where I was like, bro, I've got to live life. I got to do these things because you never know when that's ever going to come again. Danny, I can promise you I've been asked to sing in an album one time. It's never come around again. <laughs> so I'm glad that I was you able promise? to promise. You promise? Yeah. I mean, listen, baby, I can sing now. Believe, hey, believe part two. Believe part two. You know two. what I mean? <laughs> 2.0. <laughs> you know, I just thought about another 21. You were on the 2021 ballot. So not oh, only right, right field, right, not right. only right field, today's date. I mean, listen, listen 21 bro. is all around Nick Swisher. You know, you Nick. You know what's um... so funny? You know what's so funny is that for myself, listen, I had 
two favorite baseball players growing up. One was Roberto Clemente and the second one was my father. I don't know which one I put them in front of each other. I couldn't ever do that to my dad. So usually my dad was always number one and Roberto was right there behind him. But Roberto was never somebody that I saw play. Roberto was never somebody that I got to meet. I never got to shake his hand, never got to spend time with him. But you know what I did do? I saw and read about the things that he did in his life. And that made a humongous mark on me. Listen, now that I'm done playing, it's not about how good of an athlete you were. It's about how good of a human being you were. And I think that stuff means more now than it does ever. And so for myself to be able to still be part of this game and to still be able to wear this logo on my head, you must've done something right. You must've done something along the way that people still wanted to keep you around. And so for myself, man, I took a humongous page out of Roberto Clemente's book because at the end of the day, I could never affect as many people as he did, but I can do my best to try and reach that number. And so that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm trying to live my life each and every day with a smile on my face, give back when I can, throw a few random high fives out to some people as I'm walking through and roll it out. Because at the end of the day, it's going to mean something to somebody. You're going to make a mark on somebody and they're going to remember that. It's the rule of 11. If I meet you, you're going to go tell 11 of your friends what the, what the experience was for me. And those 11 people are going to tell another 11 people. And those 11 people are going to tell 11 other people. Next thing you know, you've reached like 200 people in five minutes. So what kind of mark are you going to make on people? Do you want people to remember you for the good or do you want people to remember you for the bad? I guess my father, he always told me some, the one thing we all have the ability to do in life, we all have the ability to choose. You choose how you want to act in life. And that's the one thing we can all do is choose what we want to do. We make choices all day, every day. Make the right choices and hopefully people remember you for the right reasons. You know, you were part of this, um, I guess this narration on Clemente. How did that come to be? Uh, Nick, with regards to, um, hey, kids, you want to know, I believe something or you don't know. Can you tell me about that project, that yeah, narration? So, I, you know, it was some fun stuff we were doing, uh, just trying to, you know, I ran into a bunch of high school kids and I was talking telling a story about Ron Gant. And they didn't remember who Ron Gant was. And it just blew my mind that like kids wouldn't know who Ron Gant was, right? I was like, dude, he had the biggest arms in the league, dude. <laughs> you don't remember Ron Gant, bro? You know the whole nine. And so then it got me to thinking that nowadays kids don't know the history of the game anymore. They don't read books about players anymore. All they do is watch YouTube clips and things like that. You know what I'm saying? So they don't know about the men that made this game what it was before them. And so it was my job to try and teach people who these men were. And to be able to explain to them, like, I think we did a whole handful of them. We did a whole bunch of them. And the Roberto Clemente. Okay, one, so it wasn't just Roberto. Just wasn't, no, it, it wasn't just wasn't Roberto. Roberto. It was everybody. Tony okay. Gwynn, like all sorts of stud players. But we were trying to go all around the globe. We were trying to get a little bit of everybody to let people know who all these individuals were. And it just so happened that that Roberto Clemente one was fire, bro. It was all, then all of a sudden, Carlos Baerga calls me. Next thing you know, we're rapping a little bit. Then all of a sudden, he calls Roberto Clemente his son, right? Then oh, yeah, Junior Roberto calls Junior, me, yeah. right? And yeah. so the next thing you know, I'm like, how did I get on this call with all these powerful individuals from Puerto Rico and me? And I'm oblong a little bit, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're having the best time. But it just goes to show that, like, the love for Roberto is not just in Puerto Rico. It's all over the globe. And to be able to be part of that amazing group of individuals on that call that one day was absolutely amazing. One of these days, we're going to get that number retired because it should be. If Jackie's retired, Roberto should be retired too. I would think that's 100% in agreement with the Talking 21 podcast. Not only the listeners, but Raciel and uh, myself, uh, we've been talking about that the last two years when we kicked off this podcast. You know, Nick, I want to ask you from your own as you said, you're a history buff, but whether it was reading an article, reading a book on Roberto, looking at videos of Roberto, what was it now putting yourself as a professional baseball player? What is it that you saw offensively or defensively that, I mean, you were like just blown away of what Roberto did on I, the field. I, I guess the, it, I guess it was shocking to see that one individual could do everything. There wasn't a thing that that man couldn't do on the baseball field. He had the greatest arm. Remember my grandfather telling me stories about him throwing out people at third base from the right field wall. And I'm thinking to myself, I can't even hit a fungo to third base from the right field wall. Roberto's throwing people out, right? So for myself, but I think it really struck me on how he lost his life. 
I think that was the biggest thing that caught me, that someone would lose their life helping others. That's a major thing. That's not something that you hear about a lot. That's not something you hear uh, about individuals taking time out of their schedule to help others. You just don't see that on the, on the evening news. You see you know, all the bad things that are happening. And so for myself, to see how an individual who was so uh, greatly recognized in my favorite sport of baseball loses life helping others, trying to make things better for others when he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do that at all. He could have just lived his life. I mean, come on, man. The guy was 3,000 hits and he was still rolling, right? He was just getting going. And so I think for myself to be able to see somebody that was so unselfish was at a young age. Listen, you're pretty selfish as a young kid. You know, you don't really figure things out. But that was one of those things where I was like, man, like that really, really hits me in the heart and it hits me in the right spot. And I never, ever forgot about him. And I wrote book reports. I read books. I read, I tried to watch every highlight I could. And then the next thing you know, I'm actually talking with blood of Roberto Clemente. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't even know how to explain all that. It's just, it's been a crazy, crazy, awesome ride. I've met some awesome people along the way. Um, but at the end of the day, man, listen, like, you know, you, you, you never know who you're going to grow up liking. But Roberto Clemente, baby, he was one of those guys that he definitely made a mark. It's, it's funny because it's funny because you you describe the exact same process that almost everybody that encounters Roberto who didn't watch him play kind of goes through. Right. It's like you hear, but you hear the name. Then you look at some highlights and go, oh, man, he's a great ball player. Then you look up baseball reference. You look at the stats. And you're like, God damn, he was a really no good doubt, ball player. Right? You, can do you know it what I'm saying? But then you like read a lot about the, ex uh, like the, the humanitarian stuff. And you're like, wow. For me, the thing that like I vividly remember like being a, a kid and I'm like, oh, man, this man died helping others. I'm like, oh, man, that's fascinating. And then the, the key thing that like made me like stand up at attention was like he died helping people not from his own country, not even from, from an entirely not, not separate, not his own blood, None of not it. his own blood. Like everyone could like, all right, everyone, you know, I'll help my, my family out, help my countrymen out, help my community out. It's like, oh man, that's, that's expected of me. Right. Cause I'm a good person. Right. Like to think I'm a good person. Right. But like to think that a person, a major league baseball player at the height of his, you know, fame and, and glory would take the time out and risk his life to help people from an entirely separate country, leaving uh, like holidays, like right of new year's leaving, to a completely separate country is just like blew my mind growing right i, I, I am a hundred percent i mean you couldn't have hit the nail on the head more often bro you're so right and by the way that's such a great point it wasn't even for his own people and by the way i think that's something that we need to look at a little bit more in today's world like we need to help each other a little more don't matter where you come from where you're at we need to reach out and help and be part of this right and to get people back on their feet because listen the world is Kind of a crazy place right now and if we could wrap our arms around each other man in my opinion it'd be a little better a little better of a place you know nick uh, talking about and listening to raciel and sometimes when other people say it with regards to what roberto did new year's eve it really just triggers in my own mind and i say wow you know new year's eve how many professional athletes would have done something like that and i think we know it would be zero. Bro, I just can't. Many, dude. I, I just can't see that. And let me tell you, Nick, something that the anniversary is coming up. Uh, this year is the 50th anniversary of his uh, timely death. But on December 27th, Nick Swisher of this year, 2022, and I hope to be in Puerto Rico before the year concludes. But December 27th, Carlos Delgado's hometown, Aguadilla, which is on the western side of the island. Roberto was holding a baseball clinic four days before he passed. He was holding a baseball clinic. And my dear friend in Delaware has the photographs of that oh, baseball awesome. clinic. That's awesome. And there's a plaque there at the stadium that um, I believe it was recently refurbished. It's called uh, Palque Colón. But that's actually where he had four days before he passed. That's where he had his he actually even hit a homer. In that clinic, I've actually seen a newspaper clipping of He hit a homer everywhere, baby. <laughs> yeah, and and the lives of so many people, the lives okay. of so many people. You know, Nick. Um, someone came to mind when we were talking right now about losing somebody, and I was just thinking about my father right now, and I lost my father to cancer in 1990, and I know you lost your dear grandmother, I believe, in 2005 to uh, brain cancer, I believe it was, and. I know what Nick Swisher is doing. I know what I've tried to do, uh, keeping my father's memory alive. 
But there's something that you're doing, Nick, and it goes back to what we talked about earlier, the children. St. Jude's Children Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. Nick, you got to give me a direct contact. I need to get there. I need to speak to someone. I need to visit those kids because to hear, and, and Nick, I'm sure you know the story with Danny Thomas, how he founded that place. I mean, Roz, do you know the story behind? I mean, it's crazy. It's yep. crazy. It, it is It is unbelievable. Once again, uh, somebody stepping out and doing something for others and really making a mark and not giving up and not accepting no for an answer. And now you are talking about one of the greatest organizations in the world, right? If you go to campus, when you go to campus, you are going to walk into the cafeteria and you are going to see children all over the place, but you're also going to see doctors sitting with those children. And that was the biggest thing that I noticed was the men and women that are treating these kids for all these cancers are in the same lunchroom, sitting with the families, talking with them, being part of it, not isolating themselves, putting the doctors in one room and the patients in another. Everybody is there together. Not a single dollar is spent for the families that go to St. Jude. I mean, come on, bro. I could sit here and rap about St. Jude for a whole nother hour on this podcast. But at the end of the day, man, do your research, y'all. Look up St. Jude, Memphis, Tennessee. I promise you, you will not be, you, you will enjoy every second of reading the amount of information that goes into that place, the amount of information that goes out of that place to all other doctors and orthopedics all over the world. They, are, they wanna share the information they get. They don't wanna hide that information and them only use it. They wanna solve this problem for cancer. They want to solve cancer for children all over the world. And one of these days, baby, if they continue on this path, they're going to figure it out. Yeah. Um, Nick, how did you cope? I know how I did. And I think it's just something that maybe you never can necessarily. You could always remember that person who was dear to you that passed away. But how when it was immediate, the, lo the, lo the loss of your grandmother uh, in 2005, how did you cope? because your baseball career had already started. How did you cope with that passing? It was a dark time, bro. Very, very dark moment for me. I just remember uh, I was in Oakland and I got the phone call and I just remember, um, you know, my dad telling me on the phone and I just remember dropping the phone and just going back to sleep, thinking to myself, like, this has to be a bad dream. I'm going to wake up. It's not going to happen. Everything's going to be okay. You kind of know it's going to happen, but you're not ready when it does happen. And so for myself, I mean, talk about losing the most important person in my life at that moment. Um, I felt I felt alone. Uh, I felt that I, I didn't know what to do. Um, now, I'm lucky that I have a father who has been a hero and idol uh, of mine for since the moment I was born. And he said, you know, Nick, I really I, I know you're struggling with this. Um, do me a favor. When, when you get back and you take the field tonight, give her the best seat in the house. Give, give, give grandma the best seat in the house and I can promise you um, it'll make you feel better. And I was like, okay. So I remember going in for that night and in my mind, the best seat in the house was like right behind the on deck circle, like right behind me, you know what I'm saying? So like I took the field that night and I remember walking to the plate and I remember I just kept like looking over my shoulder, like thinking like she might actually pop up, right? She might actually be in that moment. Uh, and it's, you know, it was tough. It really was. And so then she sat there for a couple games behind the on-deck circle. And then that's when I moved her out to center field above the, up, above the batter's eye in center field. That's why everybody said when I'd be hitting, I'd look up and then I would look back down to the pitcher. And most people would be like, whoa, what is this, Nick? Like some soft focus, hard focus thing you're doing. And all I was really doing was just looking up at my grandmother and also looking at my grandfather and my grandfather saying, oh, Betty, he struck out again. And she's jamming fireballs in his mouth to get him to shut up. And for myself, that was where I put them was right at the top of the stadium. And I'll never forget, I have the best image of them just sitting there because the one thing my grandma always loved watching me do was hit. I have a, I have a dog tag. It just, it says, just hit the damn ball. And that's, you know, I would be going in struggles and slumps and I'd be like, Grandma, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not seeing the ball. She'd be like, Nick, just hit the damn ball, son. It's not that hard. Just hit the damn ball. And so then from there, that's all I started saying. Whenever I would hit that struggle, I would tap that plate and be like, baby, just hit the damn ball. And then I would just roll in from there. So 
that was one thing, one way of dealing with it. Uh, the other day, uh, other way of dealing with it, that was when I grew my hair out at the time. Um, and my grandma's hair was her most important thing. Uh, there at the end, she started losing her hair and we would have somebody come in every week to kind of like patch up her hair to make sure it was like as beautiful as she could have it. Uh, so that was one thing that I did because I knew how important her hair was to her and I wanted to grow mine out. Now, I'm not gonna lie, my hair long, bro, is greasy and it's not the best look for me. So I'm glad that that was over with, but putting my grandma at the top at the top of the stadium uh, was by far one of the best things that helped me. I also got her initials tattooed across my heart, which really, really helped and really, really hurt as well. <laughs> so I wouldn't necessarily tattoo route, um, but yeah, those were uh, at least three things that helped me get over it, man. I, I don't think you'll ever truly get over losing someone that close to you in your life. Um, and I always think, man, I feel like she just sits on this shoulder right here, uh, anywhere I go. So, uh, you know, I definitely know that I have people up there. My mom's up there. My grandma's up there. My grandfather's up there. Uh, so I know I've got some people that are looking down on me uh, that are protecting me, you know. So uh, I guess it's hard to lose somebody, uh, but we'll meet again. I'm pretty sure about it. Yeah, amen, man. I love the way you described uh, putting your mother there present at the ballpark, yeah, whether right. it was just behind like, just, you or instead of there. That was pretty yep. cool. Just put her up there, cool. man. It was a lot easier to deal with that way for sure. So tell us a little bit about, you know, the, the Swisher Collab Classic. Tell us a little yeah, bit about Yeah, this is great, man. It's the second year going. We've still got some foursomes that are open, trying to bring people all over the country, man. Get them out to Monarch Bay. We'll have an absolute blast, man. All the benefits go to St. Jude. Uh, Clean Skin has been part of this as well. They've been absolutely amazing. Uh, Lisa LeBlanc is heading all that up. She's been absolutely amazing. Uh, my girl, Kate Gordon, Bob Merrick, everybody's been part of this. Uh, so we will definitely jam out there. Last year's was awesome. We had the best time. Jeff Farley was out there, long drive, the whole nine. It was absolutely amazing. This year, we hope it's a little better. My guys from Palm Golf, I mean, Neft is going to be there. Neft Vodka, we've got Dobell Tequila in the house. So, I mean, bro, like I can just list it off and all, man. These, these individuals that have been part of this tournament last year and this year are amazing. Could not be more blessed to have them be part of the tournament. Now we just need to get some people out there uh, and really, really enjoy the day. And like we said, it's a, it's a wonderful cause. It's a, it's a remarkable cause that people should be interested in. If any of our listeners want to want to get more information, uh, it's www.swishercollabclassic.com. Just log on there, get some information. Um, it's, it's a wonderful thing that Nick and, and his partners are doing. And it's, it's obviously for a fantastic cause. Um, I do have one question for you two guys, right? Because I have sons. I have nothing but boys. But you two are both girl dads, right? Tell us a little, tell me a little bit about what it, what it, it does to you like because we're both like our oh, we're supposed to be like rough tough <laughs> men but tell me a little bit about like what does girl dad do to you uh and Bro, ask, what is your parenting philosophy it's the best thing that ever happened to me it has taken my um intensity from about a 470 down to like a six you know what i'm saying so like you know with it's 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 a little different you know uh raising a girl is way different than raising a boy um, but at the end of the day, listen, I'm a, I love all my kids all the day, man. I, I bro, I'm a monster. I'm a hugger, bro. I'm a kisser. I'm a high fiver, like the whole nine, you know, because I want my daughters to know that like, I got their back. I, you're going to, you're going to fall on your own and you're going to go through struggles on your own, but I will be there. I want you to pick yourself up, but I will be right there behind you the whole way. Because my biggest thing is, you know, sometimes you want to help your kid through all the tough times they're going through. But if you do that, you're taking away their experiences. You're taking away all of that. You have to let your kid fail from time to time. It's hard to see, but at the end of the day, if they don't learn to pick themselves up, there's gonna be a time when you're not gonna be able to be there for them all the time. They're gonna to learn to do that on themselves. And for me, listen, I've got two little girls and I am creating strong, powerful, confident little girls, bro, that will take this world by storm. Ain't nobody gonna mess with my girls, bro. They're gonna be ready for this. They've got a strong mother and a strong father that give them support each and every day. And at the end of the day, listen, I don't know what else to do, man. I don't know how else to love all my kids. I'm just gonna let them know I got your back and anything you need, I'll be there for you, but I need you to put that effort forth forward. You know what I'm saying? So at the end of the day, man, like I love it. Mama talking about having a third, guys. I don't know about that, bro. I'm not quite sure about that. Don't tell nobody, I don't know. <laughs> Did you just tell her you're cool with adding another oh, family man. member that has four legs? Could you oh, tell her man. you're cool with that? Another dog. We don't, 
we don't need any other dogs. I was like, mama, we, hey, we can do this practicing thing all day long. You know what I'm saying? Like, just let me know. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Amazing. And listen, if you need any parenting tips, Danny is, is, is literally the best girl dad I know. He has two beautiful daughters. Um, one of them is a medical doctor. She's incredibly successful. He is um, a wonderful human being. And he, the same thing you are describing about being a parent, I see it in him every single day, man. And it's, and it's dope. Like it's wonderful kind of like, you know, you know, having that philosophy, having that, that approach to, 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 to parenting is awesome. Yeah, buddy. It's a, uh, it's a 24 uh, seven job. I, I always tell people and it's the truth. I, I think um, everything switched that you said, I have to agree 100%. Um, the one thing I do tell young fathers, I said, listen, when your lady is tired, in those first few days, few months, you got to pick it up and feed the baby at that time so she can get the rest. You got to clean the baby, do the, the diapers, do everything that literally is a part of what makes a good team between a husband and wife. Oh, and yeah. I'm going to be 30 years married next year. Yep. And I know, Nick, I believe you guys just celebrated your 10th, right? Last yeah, year was yeah, we're, your 10th? We're, we're coming up on 12 this year, man. 12. So, so rolling, you know you know who you picked. I know who I picked. I know Raciel picked a Boricua, Puerto Rican, who is his years. wife. You know, so uh, we all we all we all could uh, <laughs> relate to uh, having a, a significant other that has been uh, really our rock in our family, you know. Yes, and sir. Nick, I got to tell you, man. You impressed me that day in the Baseball Hall of Fame because I'm looking and I'm saying, well, who am I going to ask my Clemente question? And I say, well, I did see that piece that Nick did online. I got to go over it to him because I know the personality. When you played, I was on the field at Yankee Stadium, but, you know, sure. again, when you're on the Yankee Stadium, eh, let me get over to Shea Stadium, let me go over to City Field. But <laughs> we never had a, we never had a chance to talk. Listen, I, I walked by you a couple of times. I was like, I ain't talking to that guy. I was like, I ain't talking to him. You know? But um, I will tell you the one Yankee that I did speak to when they came over to City Field was Curtis Grandison, your, your teammate. Yeah. But well, um, at the end of the day, man. Fantastic. Yeah. 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 Wonderful Met career as well. Yeah, you know, I can't, I can't really, Nick, I can't thank you enough because uh, right now, the one thing that Talking 21 is on point is time. And we said we're going to have one hour together, and that's exactly coming up to that hour mark. So, Nick Swisher, right, I'm baby. just going to say <laughs> one thing to you. What was said in a few minutes ago, just hit the damn ball, whether it's on the <laughs> golf it, course baby. Whether it's on the golf course, whether it's in that home run derby, whether it's hitting that damn ball in all walks of life, especially for children, Nick Swisher, you're my guy now, man. So I could add a Yankee. Can I get a signed baseball? You Nick got Swisher? it, bro. Can I, I get a signed you, baseball? Bro. I got you, man. Right? One for Roz and I. To, Duo, to my two favorite, times, to my favorite fan, Danny Torres. Even if he is to a my Mets favorite fan. Mets fan. Bro. Yes, 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 yes. That's what seriously, I'm man. About. And talk about hitting a home run, man. This this interview was amazing. You you got you got you got a future as a fucking motivational speaker. I'm like I'm not fucking jazzed up right now. Thank Let's you so go. very much. No, brother. you guys were great, man. No, Danny, I'm great to see you again, brother. I'm glad we were able to get this done today, man. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me on, man. I yeah. appreciate it. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Nick Swisher. Thanks, Swish. Because once again, we have enjoyed another podcast episode with a guest that is truly an ambassador of Major League Baseball. And I know our producer who truly was telling me how much he enjoyed this before we even dropped this episode. Ross, any final thoughts? Yeah, man. I, listen, listen, I'm sure um, all the listeners uh, will thoroughly have enjoyed this interview. Um, one thing that really comes through from Nick is uh, his love of baseball, right? His love of baseball and his, his, yeah, effervescent, absolutely. his effervescent personality. And, and he truly um, embodies the spirit of Alberto Clemente. He, um, all the philanthropy work that he does, all like the, the kind charitable organizations that he's involved with. And, and it was fun. And we laughed, we cried, we, we giggled, we, we went over about baseball and you know, talked about parenting and stuff. It was really, really fun to do this interview. And I, re and I really enjoyed everything that you brought to this uh, episode, Ross. And I'm, I'm so, so happy that now we can share this together for our listeners because he is truly an ambassador for baseball. He is uh, passionate about the game, his love for his family, his friends, his teammates. And yes, 
the great one, Roberto Clemente. So before we wrap this up, I wanna make sure that everyone knows, and you've heard this before, to make sure to subscribe to Talking 21 Podcast, make sure to follow every platform because we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're especially on Twitter. You could follow me at Danny T21, but make sure you rate and review and thumbs up and everywhere that you can spread the word of the great one, especially this year that marks the 50th anniversary of the great one's passing, Roberto Clemente Walker. So on behalf of my producer, Rasque Barra, adios, goodbye. Look forward to the next episode because I'm not gonna give you a sneak peek on who's gonna be a part of Talking 21, but it's gonna happen. Thanks so much.